Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome on The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we have a lot to get into on tonight's show, including a preview of the Orioles' looming 40-man roster decisions in regard to the Rule 5 draft. Several interesting prospects are eligible for the Rule 5 draft this year, but with limited 40-man roster spots available to them, the Orioles are going to have to make some tough decisions. We'll get into that as well as a look at awards season. Michael Elias is your MLB Executive of the Year, and he might not be the only Oriole to claim prizes here over the next week. But we'll start off the show as we like to do with a lot of our episodes and welcome a new member of our Patreon community. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Bob and his daughter who has joined us for this show. If Michael Elias can win executive of the year, can I win dad of the year? <laughs> Bring it here. Um, yeah, we have a new patron this week. Edward Healy is in single A might be from a foreign country, international prospect, young guy. Let's see if he can move up through the farm system, but in all seriousness, wow. Good burp. Um, <laughs> welcome aboard Edward. Thanks for uh, supporting the show. As a reminder, you can sign up for the paid versions of our Patreon community for as little as $3 a month and have access to an exclusive WhatsApp group. And then at the $5 and $10 levels, you will get more perks, including bonus daily content, as well as some off-season content that we're going to sprinkle in throughout uh, the next few months. We'll, of course, have a daily countdown of top 50 prospects later in the off-season. We'll have more for our patrons between now and then. As for tonight's show, we're going to start off with one of the bigger stories in Birdland this week, which is Mike Elias has been named MLB's Executive of the Year. The award was announced on Tuesday. Elias received the award, which is voted on by the 30 teams in MLB. This iteration of the award is an official prize from MLB and has only existed since 2018. Elias is the first Orioles executive to win the award. He beat out... Alex Anthopoulos of the Braves, who was runner-up, and Mike Hayes of the Diamondbacks, who came in third for the award. So, Nick, I'll start here. We've been covering the evolution of this organization for a few years now. Elias plays a big part in that. I don't think his uh, winning the award is a particularly big surprise given the Orioles' surgence this year, but what are your thoughts on it? I, I think it's pretty cool just because it – it's an award voted on by his peers. So clearly like the rest of the league acknowledges what the Orioles are doing and respect the work that's being done in Baltimore under Elias. So I, I think that's good to see. Also the, the Elias haters uh, are down pretty bad with this announcement. So that's even uh better to see, um, you know, he's made some decisions and maybe some comments that haven't been super popular with some fans, but at the same time, like, you know, my only real gripe has been maybe the lack of spending in free agency the last couple of years, but that maybe is not a decision that he was solely responsible for. So can't really put all that blame on him. Um, you know, he's, he's brought in some guys who have made a real impact in the clubhouse. He's has a vision of what this organization, what he wants his organization to be, what kind of team he wants on the field. And he hasn't wavered from that. He's got 
a fantastic team around him, a culture in this organization from the Dominican Summer League up to the big league clubhouse and everywhere in in between. They've drafted well, extremely well. They've got the top farm system in baseball. They have an unbelievable player development staff in place. And, you know, now it's open up the checkbook. Let's pull some trades and, you know, the window's open. And now I'm, I'm, if I was the rest of the league, I'd be scared to see what the Orioles can do now when they open up the checkbook and start making some trades because they're coming off a 101 win season with, you know, a roster that wasn't expected to get what, what did Vegas have them at 70 something wins? I mean, so yeah, it's kudos to Mike Elias. There's still a lot more work to be done, but the rest of the league, uh, they see what's coming. Yeah. I think a lot of fans would probably want to hear if they spend money, but I, it'd be hard not to spend more money at this point. So yeah. And I like, I'll get to the actual word, but I just like what we've heard so far from Elias this offseason. He, I think the plan is is sound. He wants to add one legit top of the rotation starter and a legit back end of the bullpen reliever. And then, he, of course, he made the necessary, you know, can't guarantee anything, but this is what we're aiming for. Could be something a little bit less than that. Um, doesn't sound like they're focusing on offense much this offseason, but We'll see what happens. But yeah, the award, it's almost like this is this is like an award that just is encompassing his time here since he took over. It's kind of just reflects the rebuild as a general and as a as a whole. I feel like he he's probably done a better job, if you really want to say like the job of being the GM and making the moves to got us here, probably would have got the award a couple of years ago. But you know, it's it's kind of like manager of the year. It's ver- expectations versus results type of thing. And yeah, happy for him, deserving. I mean, I think the Braves GM also, that makes sense that he's a runner-up. Great GM there, gets his players to sign extensions for cheap. Would love to see that be the next step for the Orioles. But yeah, well, well-deserved award and maybe not the last one that he has as an Oriole. Definitely should be. And I think that one of the strengths you have to give Elias credit for is just up and down. This organization is so strong. 101 wins at the major league level, doing so while playing the toughest division in baseball. And what is still considered, despite the quantity and quality of graduations over the last two seasons or so, one of the top farm systems in baseball. Well, yeah. unless you ask baseball savant and their new metric, I think they were like twelfth or something on that. But uh, we won't get into that. But yeah, it's. I think if you yeah, we won one hundred and one games at the major league level, and then AAA. Obviously, they won it all. They won the the international league. I think they had a record number of wins for the for the tides, and then even beat the PCL team for the championship of the championship. So yeah, I think everything's looking good. Well, and Elias will have to make some decisions here next week with the Orioles' Rule 5 uh, decisions coming up, the deadline to protect players from the Rule 5 draft uh, by giving them a 40-man roster spot is next week. And that's something that we know that he and the front office, I'm sure, put a lot of thought into. They've got magic minds over there, so let's hear about it. <laughs> yeah, the the Orioles do have a few tough decisions to make with their uh, you know forty man roster and Rule Five eligible players, but uh, you know it's not a tough decision, guys. And that has been starting every morning with a boost from Magic Mind. We've been talking about these Magic Mind energy boosting shots for a couple of weeks now. I've gotten hooked on them and love being able to start my day knowing that what I'm consuming will give me not just the energy I need for a full day, but also give me the peace of mind that I'm not consuming harmful chemicals or processed garbage first thing in the morning. 
I drink my Magic Mind shots each morning before my cup of coffee, and I can tell you from personal experience that these drinks work. To be completely honest, I was skeptical and wasn't expecting anything, but that afternoon drag is gone since I've started drinking Magic Mind each morning. Haven't gone for the afternoon coffee in weeks now. I feel awake in the afternoons. Overall, just feel more refreshed and energized throughout the day. It's been especially helpful this week now that it's pitch black outside by like 5.30, and it typically takes me weeks to adjust to the time change and the early sunsets and resisting that urge to go to bed by 6 p.m. But it's been business as usual now that I'm drinking Magic Mind each day, to be honest. And you know, the best part is that I really do look forward to drinking these every morning. It's made of all natural ingredients, including matcha, lion's mane, mushrooms, other ingredients designed to improve your memory, give you that natural energy boost and stress less. And no sugar, nut-free. It's also vegan, keto, paleo-friendly. Like, trust me, if I'm sitting here saying that I like drinking these, it's good because you, you can ask my wife. I'm probably the pickiest person. Uh, she's ever met when it comes to what I consume, but I do love the taste of Magic Mind. And you can try Magic Mind for yourself by going to magicmind.com slash verge. It's magicmind.com slash V-E-R-G-E. Use our code verge20, that's the number 2 where you can save up to 56% on a subscription to Magic Mind or get 20% off a one-time order. If you are already a subscriber, you can still go to magicmind.com slash verge, use the code verge20, and get the discount on your next subscription payment. We're only running this because I stand by the product after personally using it. My wife's hooked. She signed us up for a subscription, so a monthly supply automatically comes to our house. Uh, something else that's really cool with this product is Magic Mind does come with 100% money-back guarantee, zero questions asked, so there's no risk whatsoever. Give it a try today. Start feeling refreshed immediately. Go to magicmind.com slash verge with our discount code verge20 for up to 56% off a subscription. I'd get the 30-pack. That's what I, I subscribe to. And that's great value and great product. And we'll put the direct link in our show notes so you can all go order yours today and let us know what you think. Now that we're refreshed, we'll discuss this uh, Rule 5 deadline, which is next week. It'll be November 15th to be exact. By our account right now, the Orioles have two open spots on their 40-man roster. And the class of players this year that are Rule 5 eligible is not as strong as we have seen in prior offseason. That's largely because a lot of the big-name players forced the Orioles' hands this year. Jordan Westberg and Heston Kerstad both would have been Rule 5 eligible this offseason for the first time. However, both of them earned promotions to the Major League roster and 40-man roster spots during the regular season. So this class does not have the Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall type prospect that we have seen in previous years. Nonetheless, it is still deep, especially on the pitching side. The first guy that I want to talk about, though, is the one position player who could conceivably be protected, and that is Hudson Haskin. Haskin, who was chosen by the Orioles out of Tulane in the second round of the 2020 draft, was limited to just 33 games last year because of injury. The bulk of that time was spent at Norfolk, where he put up solid numbers in 23 games, but... His production really has been solid in the minor leagues, but staying on the field has been a little bit of an issue for him over the years. Bob, I'll start with you on this one. The Orioles are deep at outfield, yet it feels like Haskin is the kind of player who could conceivably be chosen in the Rule 5 draft because just solid across the board with his skill set. So what are your thoughts on his case? If I could first go back and say, I think Gunnar Henderson actually would be 
this would be the year he would have to been protected as well as Daryl Hernays. And obviously Gunner's been up for over a year and Hernays was traded to the A's and looks like he'll be on the opening day roster for Oakland. Excited to see that. But yeah, Hudson Haskin, definitely if he's not protected, I can make the case either way. He was kind of like a borderline decision for me when I was looking at this list. I could see, I think he will get picked in the rule five draft if he's not protected, just because he's got speed and defense a high floor right there, and he can be the last guy on your bench, a late defensive replacement as he tries to get adjusted to the major leagues. And he also, which is a positive and a negative, I feel like a team that picks him, he get he tends to get hurt a lot. He gets hit by a lot of pitches, and he's been injured each of the past two seasons. So that's another way I guess a team could try to hide him on the roster. I know you have to make up that time to a certain extent, but uh, yeah, he's a very – valuable player in that he's kind of like a Ryan McKenna with more upside I feel like and actually that's one way I think the Orioles could add him to the 40 man is if Ryan McKenna gets non-tendered because he uh he's gonna get a little bit of a raise not much and he's out of options they could easily just replace him with Hudson Haskin right then and there um but otherwise you know he's gonna he can hit for some power he does a little bit of everything I don't want to say he's like a five-tool player but he's just He's like slightly above average to slightly below average at everything, except for defense is, is pretty solid. But yeah, I think he's a, a very safe player that would probably be picked in a Rule 5 draft if he's not protected. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, it's definitely the only hitter, like you mentioned, Zach, that I think we'll probably talk about here. I mean, there's really no one else. Maverick Hanley, T.T. Bowens, Greg Cullen, Isaac Daly on Servideo. Like, I don't think any of these guys are up for consideration. So it's really just Haskin on the hitter front, and I'm torn as well. I think if you if you pull most fans, they'd probably say that Haskin being added is probably like a lock or a slam dunk, and I don't think that's the case. Just because a lot of this, the reasons that Bob outlined were, were good and bad. Like, first of all, I think that, and as as I talk this out in my head, I, I go back and forth too. But you know, they did invest a lot in him. He is a second round pick, like you mentioned, out of Tulane, so 39th overall. And despite like every report on him after the draft talking about, you know, if you overhaul that swing, you know, how high is his ceiling? Well, how good of a prospect could it be if you overhaul that swing? And it's like, there have been adjustments, but it's still pretty much that same swing for the most part. And it seems like based on the few interviews that Haskin has done, he kind of enjoys proving people wrong and showing them that this swing works. And I do love that, but I also think that there's still a long way for him to go to get there, but I think every day or mostly every day, Major League regular is within his range of outcomes as far as his development goes. He's not going to get there next year. And if he does reach that point, more realistically, I do think I like the you know Ryan McKinnon, but better comp. I do think he's that fourth outfield type. And as a reason that you would protect him, he's probably that fourth outfield type that would fit very well in Baltimore because he plays a good center field defense and you can move him over to left field there at Baltimore if you need him to. I think that's a huge bonus for him, knowing what this organization likes. As for the bat, I think he does strike out a good bit, but he gets on base at a good clip. I think he can probably be a 10 to 15 home run guy in the major leagues, give you like 30 plus doubles a year in the major league level. The stolen bases haven't really been there for him. I know that first year he had like 20 plus stolen bases, and they haven't been there since. Um, this was a guy who 
stole George Springer's high school record. <laughs> they both went to the same high school. He broke George Springer's stolen base record. Haven't seen it yet, but I think he'd get there. The injuries, like Bob mentioned, I think that's a big issue because that first year it was the, a broken thumb. So, you know, that's that's just an unfortunate injury. But this past season, it was the hamstring, then he came back, and then he re-aggravated the hamstring, and then he came back, and then it was hip surgery that ended up shutting him down for the year and only playing 33 games. So he's got limited time in AAA, less than 33 games, 82 at-bats, 82 at-bats at the AAA level, coming off multiple hamstring injuries and hip surgery. You wonder, like, yeah, maybe you can manipulate his roster status and keep him around, but... Or you could just go with somebody that you know is fully healthy. Um, so I, I don't know. Like I think you could probably sit here and gamble by keeping him off, honestly, because if you look at the roster as it is right now, we could project trades and DFAs and all that, and that's going to take us down multiple rabbit holes. But you've got Hayes, Mullen, Santander, Kowser, Kerstad, Stowers, Vavra. Like they're all on the forty man already. I think you could probably risk, um, you know, risk keeping him exposed. To be honest, and but at the same time. I wouldn't also wouldn't be shocked if maybe Haskin is a guy that maybe there's a trade out there. Uh, if you say, Hey, we do really want to keep him, but we just can't, but he's a good player. Maybe they find a trade partner for him. All three options I think are pretty viable and could go either way, to be honest. Yeah. When I look at Haskins case, I think that if he had had a healthy 2023, this would be a slam dunk that he would be protected because he just does a little bit of everything. I don't think he's got that one tool that really jumps out at you as, you know, this is going to make him a surefire big leaguer. He doesn't have Ryan McKenna's speed, and we can get into the comparisons between him and McKenna in a minute. But the injuries are something that would concern me, and especially with what Nick mentioned with hamstring and hip issues. The fact that he only has 82 at-bats at AAA, you would have to really, I think if you're another organization that's looking at Haskin, you would have to figure out, number one, what is your outfield depth? We know there's probably a lot of teams picking at the top of the Rule 5 draft that don't have a lot of outfield depth. But then beyond that, is he going to be healthy? And can you get enough of a sample size over the course of 2024 to figure out exactly what you have? I think that if Haskin does stay healthy, you're looking at worst at a high-floor bench player. But there's a wide range of outcomes here. And honestly, there always has been with him. It's a good point. Yeah. And ultimately, the reason why I lean that I don't think he's going to be protected when the deadline approaches is like like uh, Nick said, I mean, you still got Kyle Stowers, Taron Vavra. They just picked up Sam Hilliard. And if you can pick up a guy like that who can play all three outfield positions and has some offensive upside as well, even though he's approaching 30 years old, I mean, even if they really wanted to, could they bring back Daz Cameron and how much of a difference would uh, Hudson Haskin versus Daz Cameron make. So I think they're going to take the risk. And we know this organization, they love, like we say, where's Joey, Joey Ortiz? They want to get these guys, these AAA at-bats. Yeah, they will push them up to AAA, but then they want them to get seasoned at that level. And I don't think Haskins near enough there for the Orioles liking to make him like an everyday part of their rotation at the major league level. So I think they will be confident that he will come back to them, whether it's by not getting picked or by ultimately coming back at some point during the season. But yeah, I mean, it's, it could go either way. There's, there's obviously many reasons why that could happen, but that's the one I'm definitely most intrigued by what happens 
next Wednesday. And the for the pitchers, as we'll get to obviously soon, there's a lot of ways that could go as well. A lot of guys that could be potentially protected or not. And if they're not, I could see them going. Um, obviously, that's what we're about to get into. I do want to bring up one last point about McKenna because this is a question we've gotten a lot covering this show. Or, sorry, Haskin. Well, I'll bring up a point about Haskin for a minute. We're asked a lot, what is the difference between Hudson Haskin and Ryan McKenna? And could Haskin possibly be better than McKenna? Now, I just want to point out scheduling here that the non-tender deadline is actually two days after the deadline to protect players as a 40-man roster spot. That doesn't mean, though, that the Orioles couldn't decide to protect McKenna one day and then two days later decide they're going to or protect Haskin one day and decide two days later that they're going to non-tender McKenna or figuring that McKenna is not going to cost them a whole lot, keep both of them for a little while, and then open a 40-man roster spot later on in the offseason by DFA an outfielder. So, Nick, I'll start with you on this one. What What's the separator between Haskin and McKenna? Uh, I think they do have a lot of similarities like offensively in terms of like walk rate strikeout rate i think haskin probably ends up being putting up pretty similar numbers to mckenna probably average as well i mean you look at mckenna's numbers this year he hit 254 316 on base percentage and 90 wrc plus i think haskin can probably you know be league average hitter and maybe even slightly above league average i do think as a hitter he's got more power the 15 home runs he hit in Bowie, I don't think they were completely, and I know what, three or four of them came in that one game. I think it was three. He had in one game. But still, I don't think that was all just like Bowie is easy to hit home runs at. I think what I was watching early on at Norfolk was that he was showing some of that power in Norfolk as well early on in the season before he got hurt. So that was a positive sign. The bats always kind of impressed me. It kind of exceeded what I thought it was going to be at every level. Um, I do think there's legitimate power in the bat. Like I said, probably 10 to 15 home runs a year. Uh, but yeah, he's going to strike out a good bit. He's not going to walk a ton, I don't think, at the big league level. And defensively, like he can cover all three spots. So I, I think the separator there is maybe just more power and maybe a little bit higher floor. But yeah. Yeah, they are very similar <laughs> the more I think about it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, see they're already interchangeable in our in our mind you made the mistake multiple times Zach and I I'm like which one is it again McKenna Haskin um yeah Haskin he's got that opposite field power I think on that three homer day they were all to right field right center field so if he can turn on the ball more often and still keep that opposite field power maybe he could even be like a 20 homer a year guy I don't know that I think that's in there somewhere I don't know if it'll ever be unlocked but I, and he will. I think he'll get on base more than McKenna, and not from walks. I think legitimately getting hit by pitches is a weapon he has. He consistently gets hit by pitches quite a bit. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's very uh, – Haskin has three options and McKenna has zero. I think that's what gives Haskin the edge. We're going to dive into the pitcher's uh, side of this. And while you don't have that guy that projects as a possible frontline starter – this is still a pretty solid group. You have a few first-time eligible guys, but what really makes the pitcher uh, part of the, this equation interesting is the guys who are coming back from injury. 
that were actually Rule 5 eligible last year. Two of them are Kyle Bronovitz and Zach Peek. And then a third is a guy that I think we're going to be talking about a lot tonight. Someone the Orioles actually got last year because in the Rule 5 draft in the minor league phase because he was coming off an injury, and that's Trey Miguel. And just to give some quick background on Miguel, he had been in the Pirates system but then had Tommy John surgery early in the 2022 season while pitching at AAA Indianapolis. The Pirates chose to not protect him. The Orioles ultimately chose in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. He was back on the mound before the end of the season and put together a very nice stint in the Arizona Fall League and had a nice showcase over the weekend by pitching a scoreless inning in the AFL Fall Stars game. So, Bob, I'll start with you here. Let's look at Mago specifically for a minute. A few months ago, I don't think he was on our radar as someone the Orioles might protect. But now we're actually having a legitimate discussion about him. What does that say about his development in the last few months? Yeah, really. I And I lean towards he will be protected. He's really shown off well at the AFL. He was in the AFL All-Star game. His numbers look really good over there. Um, I mean, maybe that's to showcase him and maybe he could be part of a trade at some point, but I think he'll be added to the 40 man before that would happen anyway. But yeah, I think it's just a fact that he had this upside. I think we knew that when he was picked in the rule five of the minor league phase of the rule five last year, but the injury was a big question mark and he was able to come back and pitch some really solid innings at the end of the season here in the minor leagues. And and yeah, he's got good stuff. He's, he locates well. He strike guys out, but doesn't walk too many. I think he's a lefty. I think there's just a lot to like. And he could be a starter or he could be a really nice multi-inning lefty reliever as well. So yeah, I think he impressed enough to really push himself ahead of a lot of guys as far as I think the organization sees him. And I'm very curious to see what they do. It was telling enough that they sent him out to the Arizona Fall League. There was a few guys that I could have seen going out there that needed to catch up on some innings, but he was one of them and he, he showed out so far. Yeah. I, was, I actually did some more reading about Mago earlier today. Um, some cool little nuggets there, but I actually think it was Zach that made a comment a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what episode it was or what we were talking about, but he said something about keeping our eye on Trey Mago or having a, com- a, you know, a good conversation about Mago when we get to this point. And that stuck with me and I thought about it more and more. And Honestly, like I, I agree with Bob that I, I think Mago does get protected and he's the one that <laughs> the more casual fans going to be at and be like, who is that? Where did he come from? Um, well, like you said, he's got the Orioles picked him in last year's Miley phase rule five draft, knowing that he had just had Tommy John surgery. So they knew he was going to miss pretty much all year and be rule five eligible again. Obviously, he was in AAA with the Pirates before his surgery. Didn't pitch a ton in Indianapolis, but he did make eight appearances there and pitched pretty well. So clearly, the Orioles were high on him to grab him when he was hurt, rehab him their way, and have him ready to go full go in 2024. But um, there's actually an interesting side note when I was reading about him. He was hockey was his top sport, and he was supposed to go to Canada for a big tournament. But like all of his teammates bailed for whatever reason. And his parents were like, we're not spending all that money to go to Canada for you to play in this hockey tournament. We'll just wait until like the big national tournament. And he got a call. that was like, hey, I need a pitcher. Uh, Can you come pitch for me this weekend at this tournament? And he walked away from that tournament with an offer from Mount St. Mary's, uh, Maryland's local Maryland school there uh, to pitch for them. And so that's led him to Mount St. Mary's and now in the Orioles organization. So I just I thought that was pretty cool. But 
Yeah, he's he's a six three lefty who throws in the mid nineties. And if you look at some of his grades from pre injury, I mean, he was like 50, 55 grade fastball slider changeup across the board. And that Fangraphs report that had on him last year, he was like the 59th ranked prospect in the pirate system. But still, they were kind of bullish on him saying, look, he could be an up and down starter type with good command. And if you look at the Orioles organization right now, kind of combing through the roster a little bit there. And again, not trying to project too much about who gets DFA'd or non-tendered or, or traded or anything like that. But I mean, you've got hopefully Keegan Aiken is non-tendered. I know I said we didn't want to dive into that, but hopefully he's non-tendered. Cole Irvin probably ends up in that similar role next year as he served this year, probably. We know what the org thinks about Nick Vespi and what his role is. Bruce Zimmerman is still there, but you know exactly what you have in Bruce Zimmerman. It's kind of that extremely low, I think, ceiling option. And then you got Cade Povich and Luis Gonzalez are the only lefty options on Norfolk's roster right now. Povich is in his own tier, and Gonzalez is, you know, a 30 something depth relief arm. I think Mago is that lefty who can give you good innings and potentially be a starter, could fill a pretty important role for you if you add him to the 40 man. Yeah, absolutely. And I was about to bring out that point. I want to focus it more specifically on the 2024 season because someone who looks at Mago's stats from this year may see that he only had four innings at Bowie, just 20 and two thirds across the Orioles minor leagues when he came back from the injury. But it's important to notice that in 2021, he had 95 really good innings at Altoona. Uh, he put together a good run there in Pirates double-A team. He was off to a good start, as Nick mentioned, at triple-A the following year before he got hurt. And I would have to think that Arizona Fall League stint was basically an extension of Mago's time at Bowie, where you're going to get a little bit more innings in, and next year you have a shot to make Norfolk's roster. And once he's on Norfolk's roster as a lefty, whether it's in the rotation or as a balk innings reliever, He's one spot start, um, you know, second game of a doubleheader where you can add a guy to your roster, one injury away from being in the major leagues. And he fills a role that right now is kind of filled by several different guys who I think have kind of run their course with the Orioles. I think the Orioles know what they have with them at this point. That's not to say they're all going to be gone next year, but they took Mago for a reason last year. And I think that next year is going to be the opportunity to see exactly what that reason was yeah and vivek mentions it in the comments bruce zimmerman and keegan aiken are both out of options and if we're talking about or at least i was talking about potentially hudson haskin replacing ryan mckenna basically on the 40 because one's got options and one has a full deck um there you go Trey mago could take one or both not both of their spots but at least one if they're not both gone one of them could be gone and replaced by mago um theoretically and yeah, I think, you know, like you said, he could be that 27th man in a doubleheader where we saw that with the L Hall early last season before, you know, his season eventually went the way it went. But a guy that can come just give you some balk when you need someone and, and then maybe work his way from there. So, yeah, very interesting. Let's shift gears now and talk about Peek and Bronovitz. Both of them were Wolf 5 eligible for the first time last year, but we're coming off Tommy John surgery. The Orioles left them unprotected. Ultimately, neither of them were chosen, but both got back on the mound last year and had flashes of what made them successful. For Bronovitz, this is a right-hander who does not have an overpowering fastball by any stretch of the imagination, but an excellent knuckle curveball that is a legitimate outpitch 
good command for all of his pitches and someone that could profile as a very efficient back-end starter or a possible bulk innings guy um, out of your bullpen. Peak, meanwhile, I've considered him for a while to be one of the Orioles' most versatile pitchers in terms of what he might be able to do for you at the major league level. He flashes back-end starter stuff, but he also shows the ability to be possibly a middle-innings guy out of the bullpen, but with the mentality of a late-inning reliever and a guy who can flat get the stuff up there a little bit over short outings. I think both of them were hurt by the injury in 2022, and while we're not going to spend all of tonight trying to figure out what ifs, healthy, normal seasons from those guys in 2022 get them 40-man roster spots most likely. We saw glimpses of that in 2023, and I'll start with Nick here. How do you think the Orioles are evaluating those two guys right now? I think Peak, like a couple other guys, he doesn't need to be protected because he had just 45 innings at double A before the Tommy John surgery, only 10 innings this year. And he, like most people coming out from Tommy John surgery, the command wasn't there. So I think sending him out to the Arizona Fall League was great because it gives him a few extra innings to work on that command. You don't have to worry about, you know, a scout from another organization seeing his stuff and falling in love and pounding the table going back to his org saying we need to take Zach Peak, he's not going to stick uh, on your major league roster. And I feel like with a lot of these guys, it's it's like, all right, how let's let's kind of dig at them. So like, bring out all the bad in them, why they won't be uh, taken by another team, but yet we also don't have to protect them. But like Peak, I, I say that, but Peak is still a guy who, honestly, I think before the injury, he took he was taking that next step in his development. Like the strikeouts were down compared to what we saw in 2021 when he was one of the top strikeout arms in the system. But he was kind of following that path that we saw a lot of guys take this year in double A where the strikeouts go down. But I think the emphasis with the ABS system in place in triple A and possibly going up to the major leagues at some point in the near future, you really can't nibble around the edges as much. So I think it's the emphasis in double A has been to just attack that strike zone, attack guys head on, forget about the strikeout rate. Because for a lot of these guys, it's going back up in AAA, like we've talked about before. I think Peak was on that trajectory before Tommy John hit. So luckily, he's in the AFL. He's healthy. He can you know, come back next year, probably start in AA, and hopefully get back on that track he was on. Brnovich is, is a little different. This one I have a, a little iffy on. I could see them protecting him just because, you know, like you said, if, if he didn't get hurt, he would have been on the 40-man roster already, or at least been given a major league shot already. Um, I guess it's what is his health status? Because when I'm thinking about it, he came back, he dominated in like a ball, uh, working up to Aberdeen, 12 innings, one run allowed two walks, 15 strikeouts. He got to Bowie and allowed 12 runs in 14 innings. Didn't walk very many guys, but struck out 19 and then went back on the IL. So like, was there a setback? Was there something else that popped up? Or was it like just a John means situation where it was just fatigue and they're like, let's just shut you down. We'll pick this back up a couple weeks in Sarasota. I'm hoping it was just fatigue, obviously. And this could be, if so, this could be a guy that you probably want to protect because, you know, the fastball, you, you mentioned the fastball velo is not there, but that double knuckle curve is your out weapon at the major league level. He's got excellent command. He's had that going back to his time at Elon in college. I, he, just enough like that funk hitch little weird short arm thing he does in the delivery. I think he can keep he keep hitters off balance. If he's just facing them one time, I don't think he's a guy who's going to go through a major league lineup multiple times a year, 
But I do think this could be a guy that another organization looks at and says, yeah, we'll take a flyer on him and hope he's fully healthy next year. I, I kind of lean towards maybe protecting Branovich. Yeah, ultimately, I don't think either one of Branovich or Peak will be protected, but not because the organization doesn't believe in them. I think it's just the lack of innings and coming back from injury. I, th- I don't know if a team is going to be willing to take that on and be able to keep them in the majors all year. This, you know, they, they did it with Zach Pop, but I feel like he was kind of already a short inning reliever, and there was a little more upside there as far as being valuable in the year that he was selected for Branovich. Yeah. It's like Nick said, he was came back. He looked great, struggled a little bit, went back on the AL. Then I think he, he came back off of the injured list, but didn't pitch, I believe. And yeah, I wonder what exactly is going on with him. I, I think both of them have a chance to make their major league debuts in 2024 with the Orioles. If they're still here, I think probably as relievers, just because the starting pitching depth has really gotten pretty strong here. And if they want a chance, I think the best shot would be out of the bullpen. Um, and Peak, I'm almost glad he's struggled a little bit here since he's came back, because if he came back and was just lights out, then I think a very good chance he does get picked. Like Nick said, he was he was pulling a Justin Armbruster, uh, uh, whatever, you know, name the pitcher that went through double A on their way to triple A and in 2022 before he got hurt he was looking really good and just seemed to get better each time out before he got hurt i think you know get the innings in get some a little bit of rest before getting reloaded for spring training hopefully he doesn't get picked i think if he fully transitions to a bullpen role next year i think he could really surprise some people with what he's able to do but as far as being put on the 40 man i just don't see it with these guys before we shift over to three arms who are Rule 5 eligible for the first time, I do want to focus on a guy who was Rule 5 eligible last year and was not taken. And when you look at his stats from the 2022 season, you can kind of see why he was not taken. That's Garrett Stallings, who really struggled at Bowie. Kind of an up-and-down season back in 2022, where I think it was the month of May, where the, he was statistically probably the worst pitcher in the Orioles' farm system. But then follow that up with an absolutely dominant June. And then the other months of the year were kind of erratic. Last year, the numbers overall don't look great. But he ended up being one of the more durable starters in the Orioles farm system. Got to Norfolk and I think you could say held his own in what was a really challenging environment for pitchers last year in the International League. And before we came on the air, Nick said that he thought we should talk about Garrett Stallings tonight. So I'm going to let Nick start this one out. Uh, what does Garrett Stallings rule five or rule five or 40 man roster case look like right now? Um, it, this is a tough one too. Uh, I, I do think at least he's worthy of a conversation here though. Like you said, maybe it, it's, he's a fellow like Hampton Rhodes, seven, five, seven guy. Um, he grew up in Chesapeake. I grew up in Suffolk. I got love for the Hampton Roads guys. Maybe it's just a soft spot here. But I honestly do think he kind of made a case for himself this past year in, in Norfolk because it, it, if the information that we were told was true, right, then this guy was done as an Oriole last year during that stretch that you mentioned, Zach. It, it wasn't just one of the worst like stat lines of someone in this organization. That was one of the worst months or so of 
pitching that I think I've ever seen by any pitcher in baseball. Uh, to be completely honest, it was awful. But apparently, at least what we heard is that he had some major backers in this organization who pounded the table for him. He got one more shot and he responded with one of the strongest stretches of pitching that we've seen from pretty much anyone in this system the last couple of years like 24 innings 31 strikeouts only two runs or three runs allowed he was great this year once he got to triple a like he had a career high strikeout rate he got the walk rate back down a bit that was something that going back to his high school days he just did not walk guys he got that back down the home run rate was much more respectable this year it was like over two per nine in 2022 he got that down to 1.22 per nine in triple a like this man was running ground ball rates for like 50% and walking like 5% of batters or less, but 25, 30% of the fly balls he allowed were leaving the ballpark. And we, we came on the show like how many times and we're like, what is going on? Like, how do you do that? Something's got to break in his favor. And I, I think it kind of did this past year. The ERA was what five and a half, but you know, the FIP was 4.3 and the XFIP was 4.16. So that looks, you know, basically almost a run and a half better. He doesn't have the elite pitch, but he's got like five, at least average to above average offerings. He's got really good man command. I think the slider can be a good weapon for him in the big leagues. It as a one inning low leverage arm. And you know, if, if the Orioles don't protect him, I would not be surprised. I could see someone else possibly taking a shot with him because like you mentioned, he he holds his own as far as innings go. He can give you multiple innings. And if there's one thing this organization does value, it's a guy who can eat innings. So I, I don't know. I think there's a, there's a bit of a conversation here. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, and his velocity was up, as Vivek says in the comments. I know that was a Baseball America thing where Peter Van Loon and Garrett Stallings, like their velocity was ticking up in a big way. I, I think there was someone else in the Orioles, but uh, he's kind of like Thomas Eshelman if he could throw hard. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I think an Orioles team from 2019 to 2021, Garrett Stallings is a stud on this team, <laughs> but uh, not sure he's going to be added to the 40 man, but I could definitely see him get picked. I don't, I'm not sure. It could be like a gray Fenter thing where he goes to the Cubs for a couple weeks to months and then comes back. Um, could be a good experience. Uh, I think he's a really, really solid guy to have hanging around AAA if you need someone to step up. I'm just not sure. I don't know. Yeah, it was, he's, He's worth talking about because it's a great story. He's got decent stuff, great, great command. 
but I don't know. Yeah, I I could very easily see a scenario where Stallings is not protected on the 40-man roster just because of limited room and then taken by another team because he's a viable option as a fifth starter on a bad team. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. And if you're looking for extra arms in camp, here's a guy who held his own in a very challenging environment for pitchers last year. You know he can give you innings. You know he can keep the ball on the ground. And I think one of the keys for him last year was that his fastball improved remarkably. Not only because he was throwing it harder, but I think he was doing a much better job of using it to complement his off-speed stuff. Because I think that, Nick, you would point this out on the show. And this is in June of 2022 when he had that really bad month. And then July was when he kind of turned the page and was completely dominant. I remember you saying something that hitters just looked like they were feasting off his curveball. And that didn't really seem to be as much the case last year. Uh, it, it looked like that his repertoire was just a lot more balanced and that he didn't have that one pitch that if he missed by the slightest bit, hitters were going to pounce on it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have his game log pulled up. I just thought about this like how many games did he have this year too in triple a where he struck out like eight nine ten plus guys i mean that's it's a, he had some really phenomenal starts in triple a this season you know it's i i could very easily see why they would not protect him but it's like bob said a couple of years ago yeah he's protected and he's a guy who you're like is he going to be a number three or number four starter for this team i, I think it's at least this makes this whole conversation and looking at this list and we're kind of like, yeah, this list isn't that great this year. There's not that many guys to talk about. Uh, but at the same time, like there are guys that three years ago were doing this show. It's slam dunk. It's a bunch of, yep, yep, yep. Don't really know what else to say. Yep. And now it's like, these are good prospects or at least decent prospects. They're going to provide value to somebody somewhere, but is there room on the major league roster? And it's, it makes all this at least more fun. If anything. Yeah, and I do have his game log pulled up. And I remember thinking this, that he was very inconsistent, like all or nothing, he'd go out and have a great outing and then go out and get lit up. Um, just since he was promoted to AAA, he had a six-inning appearance, one run, no walks, nine strikeouts. Then he had a two starts later, two innings, gave up six runs. Uh, then eight innings. No earned runs, no walks, nine strikeouts. Then four innings gave up eight runs. Four innings gave up five runs. One and two-thirds innings gave up eight runs. But then he had a six-inning where he, uh, start where he gave up one run, struck out 10. Then seven innings, one run, struck out seven to one walk. So, yeah, just very all or nothing. So if you could uh, make, make the uh, good ones more than the bad ones, or at least even them out somewhere where it's not as extreme, then maybe there's something there. Or even home road splits when he was in AAA, because I feel like a lot of those even good outings were uh, were at home. He he loved feasting uh, back home in in the seven five seven. Maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe Baltimore needs to. Maybe they do need to move uh, down to Norfolk so Garrett Stallings can, <laughs> can succeed. No, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know. Good story, like Bob said. It's a good story regardless where he ends up. We'll go now to three pitchers that are Rule 5 eligible for the first time this offseason that we want to highlight tonight. And these guys 
all kind of have their own unique stories. And we'll start with Ryan Watson, who was the Orioles minor league pitcher of the year in 2022. He was with AAA Norfolk last year, and he was not quite as dominant at Norfolk as he had been across three levels in the minor leagues back in 2022 or multiple levels of the minor leagues back in 2022. Nonetheless, still managed to post good strikeout numbers in what was a very challenging environment for pitchers. Now, you've heard me mention that a few times, and I'll give a little bit more background. If you look at hitter statistics across the International League last year, most of them were up across the board. And a lot of the, you know, adding difficulty for pitchers this year was the automated ball strike zone was used more widely at AAA. You also had a talent system in place for balls and strikes. So kind of an unconventional year at AAA. Watson had his moments at Norfolk this year, but overall the stat line, 5.95 ERA in 87 and two-thirds innings pits with 82 strikeouts against 46 walks. If you want to compare it to the year before, between Bowie and Norfolk, he threw 107 in the third innings, striking out 108 batters while walking just 29. So command, more of an issue for Watson last year than it had been the year before. But he still flashed good stuff at points. And Bob, I'll start with you here. When I look at Watson, I see a guy who's on the bubble as far as the Orioles are concerned, but that could be an intriguing bullpen option for another organization as they look through the Rule 5 options. Yeah, I agree. Um, I His season was not as bad as it looks, and he kind of played a very important role for the Tides where he would start some games, he would come in, in relief some games he'd come in on short notice and some days like he was really like their what is it a uh, jackknife utility man out of the pitching staff where he was just asked hey could you do this yeah i can do that because he's got that bulldog mentality which we talked about a lot last year and like you said the the walks it's mostly i'm going to assume because of the 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 uh, abs system and the challenge system and stuff like that that's a lot to get adjusted to I mean, but it's not to completely excuse it. It was a pretty rough year for him, which if a team isn't like super paying attention, they won't take him. And maybe the Orioles can get by by not adding him because teams will think that he had regressed significantly last season when he really didn't. Uh, and they'll be able to keep him in AAA. But yeah, I also think if a team is paying attention, they could see that you know, if you give him a plan and you let him get adjusted, I think he could play a decent role. He can do multi innings. He could do short stints. He can help you out when needed on a spot start. So I, I think Ryan Watson will be a major league pitcher. Uh, I'm not sure it's with the Orioles. I'm not sure it's in 2024, but yeah, I still like the player. Yeah, I think you could probably safely leave him unprotected in the major league phase. You, know, you leave him on AAA roster, leave him protected in the minor league phase, have him back in Norfolk next year and kind of hope he you know, gets back back to form. Because remember, the year before, 2022, he was the Jim Palmer minor league pitcher of the year in this organization. Um, you know, he was kind of another one of these, he was one of the first guys in this organization. This whole, he's a relief prospect, a reliever down at Auburn, joins the org, starts to move up to 
you know, double A, and now he's a starter in this organization. And it's like, all right, this is this is pretty cool. And he can give you six innings. Uh, the velo doesn't waver either as he works those five, six inning starts. That stays pretty consistent. Um, I think that's a big positive for him. You know, he's he is this kind of do it all guy, like Bob's talked about, where I do think he can be the one inning, maybe low leverage guy in the major leagues, uh, maybe as early as next year. He could also be in the right organization with the right plan in place. He could be a back of the rotation starter, I think, for some team. Um, you know, hopefully he's I think he's the guy you want to keep in this organization, but I don't think you're you're gonna protect him to do so. And hopefully he goes, you know, other teams pass on him as well. Uh, you know, I hate to say that about the guy, because if you're not gonna succeed in Baltimore, like I want us there's so many guys in this organization who I want to see see succeed somewhere out there. Watson is definitely one of those guys. But you know, also, I want to see him stick around here and see if the Orioles can get a little bit something. Because I do think, like exactly like Bob said, you can't blame it all on the ABS system, but I do think that played a major role in it, um, or at least some role in kind of his kind of down year this past year. So I want to see him stick around and see if he can turn things around next year. We'll go to another guy that if you're a longtime listener, you know he is a favorite of ours. That is Gene Pinto. Pinto was acquired by the Orioles after the 2020 season, along with Garrett Stallings from the Angels in exchange for Jose Iglesias. Uh, in 2022, which was his first full season in the minor leagues, Pinto was solid, but at times struggled with command at Aberdeen. He repeated Aberdeen to start the 2023 season and pretty much did what you could have asked of him, which is improve his command. The strikeout numbers were really good. He was promoted to Bowie and was generally solid there but also had some injury issues last year. Now, prospect reports from outside outlets, a lot of the national outlets that cover the minor leagues, have been pretty positive on Pinto over the last couple of years, but yet the one question mark that always is attached to him is the fastball. A lot of reports like the secondary stuff, but they're not convinced that the fastball is going to be a pitch that can get major league hitters out. And so that's something I want to start with you here, Nick. Pinto, if you're going to look purely on stats, I think there would be a strong case to protect him. Solid season at AA at age 22. Could get to Norfolk relatively early next year. Yet at the same time, we know that there are questions about the stuff and still not a ton of minor league experience. So how do you think the Orioles handle him? Mm, this is a tough one as well because – like. I know we were we were the first one. Let's let's just let's hype ourselves up here. We were the first ones on the Gene Pinto hype train, and we got it going kind of full steam pretty early on. And he's become one of these guys who like I don't care what his prospect status is. I don't care if he's not a prospect anymore. I don't care how bad he gets. Like if he's on the mound, I'm honestly going to watch him pitch. Uh, I, I legitimately don't think he gets enough credit for the improvements he made this past season. He kind of gets overlooked here. He did a really good job of lowering his walk rate that spiked uncharacteristically spiked last year. And he did so while improving the strikeout rate. And he got to double a only through like, I don't even think he cracked 30 innings in double a you mentioned he was on and off the IL. So I don't think it was anything serious, but don't know exactly what was going on there going on there. I, I don't think he gets protected or selected by another team. He's an undersized pitcher, you know, doesn't have the big fastball velo. But I, I'm still going to be a lot more optimistic here and say that, look, the slider is a big league quality pitch. I think the changeup is a pitch that's going to work for him as well. I I noted that I want to see access to like 
I, I wish we had access to his pitch data and we could look at that fastball more because that is the pitch where if he gets more swing and miss on it at the double A level and triple A level, I feel a lot more confident about Pinto. But regardless, he's got two other solidly above average pitches. He has high ground ball rates. He gets strikeouts. He gets swing and miss. He's lower in the walk rates. I do think he has at minimum a path to the major major leagues as a bullpen piece. Um, but we'll see. I, I think it's the experience thing. I think the injury, the lack of experience, I think that's what kind of keeps him safe and off other teams' radar and his size. So hopefully those are all things irrelevant, I think, to us right now. But to other organizations, they look at it and say, I, I think we're good. And he sticks around. All the Orioles fans say, who's going to take Felix Bautista's place? Who's the closer next year? <laughs> Uh, that'll be some of the Orioles sign in the offseason. Gene Pinto. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm torn because I really, I think he, he's borderline for me. It's between him and the next guy we're going to talk about to be the second person I think will be protected. Just like Vivek said, that slider is just, it's ridiculous. And it seems like it's only getting better. He was striking out so many people this season, this season. And I know he was repeating high A for a lot of it but he's just refining things. He's still pretty young. I, I want to go out on a limb and say he's protected because he's my guy. I do think if he's not protected, I don't think there's a great chance he's picked, but I also think he could be a weapon for the Orioles in the second half of 2024. If he's able to put it together, if he can get some consistency with that fastball, maybe tick up one or two miles per hour. I think he could be a really good right-handed multi-inning reliever. And I just I don't know if I would personally risk losing him in case he puts it all together for someone next year. I would not be. It's like Zach Pop for me. I would not take the risk because I like the the upside. I think if he is protected, it speaks to the fact that the Orioles feel like they've got some plan in place to get more out of that fastball. And if that would happen and it would work, he probably could be an option for you in the second half of 2024. We touched on the undersized part uh, of Team Pinto in this conversation. Pinto's listed at 5'11", 175. I don't know that that's really accurate. I want to hear from both of you, because this is something I don't think we've ever talked on this show. Do either one of you care that much about the height or size of a starting pitcher or a pitcher in general? Nope. I, mm, I don't care. Not at all. <laughs> Results over height. We know Mike Elias might disagree based on the uh, basketball team that he's brought in over the years. But uh, for me personally, no. I mean, Pinto was the guy that they targeted in that trade. They went out and got him. I mean, Alec, look at Alex Pham. Alex Pham was a small guy as well. He's he's not six feet tall. Um, I, don't, I don't really know. I know for a fact Gene Pinto is not 5'11". There is no way he's 5'11". Um, but yeah, it's like they're still working. Uh, at the lower levels of the minor leagues, at least. And they've improved. Like, yeah, he was repeating for Pinto. He was repeating Aberdeen for that first half of the year. But the numbers improved. Like, everywhere across the board, you wanted to see improvements in areas where he kind of fell back a little bit last year. He improved in those areas. And he got to Bowie. He performed well. And he was, like, two and a half years younger than the competition at Bowie. He's only 22 years old. So this is a really young arm. Like, maybe that plays a role in it as well. If another team sees that and says, hey, if – if we can get this 22-year-old pitcher who's had success all the way up through double-A, 
and we can use him sparingly as you know a one inning guy out of our bullpen this year and develop him in the offseason he can come back and be a bigger option for us next year yeah that it, it, it could be at risk of losing him so i don't know we'll wrap up the rule five segment here with brandon young uh Opposite end of the height spectrum in Gene Pinto, because Young is listed at six foot six, two hundred and ten pounds. A shoulder injury limited him to just three outings in 2022, and it took him a while to come back in 2023. But when he came back, he was pretty effective for the Orioles. Ultimately, pitched across four levels, hurling 40 innings. And here's the part that is most impressive to me: in that stretch, he struck out 40 batters and walked only six, including. 23 strikeouts and 25 in a third innings with Bowie where he did walk six batters. Now, given the fact that Young to this point has thrown just under 40 innings at the AA level, only a year removed from that shoulder injury, chances are that he would start next season back at AA if he remains in the Orioles system. One thing we know is that before the injury, a lot of people in this organization were high on him. But we also know the Orioles have limited spots right now. And this is a guy who, as I mentioned, probably going to start back at double A coming off an injury. Teams probably didn't have a lot of chances to see him last year. So, Bob, I'll start with you. Do you think that Brandon Young, first off, has a strong case to be protected? And will he be protected? I personally do think he has a pretty strong case of being protected because, you know, it was scary. His injury was scary. It was not the typical Tommy John, you get the surgery, you come back, you're probably going to be fine. I think it was a shoulder thing. We weren't sure. And he was like one of our favorite up and coming rising prospects um, when he went down. And I just was like, when I hear shoulder, I, I immediately just think, oh, damn, that's probably going to be it. But he came back and his stuff looked really good. I thought it looked better than the results indicated. Um down the stretch last year and the two start stretch where he kind of peaked before I think maybe getting tired a little bit and uh, regressing uh, and then shut down I, August 30th and September 5th back-to-back -back starts for double-a Bowie four and two-thirds innings gave up one run one walk seven strikeouts next time out five innings one run no walks five strikeouts I just think I still think there's something there I think this stuff is really good, and I still think he has starter potential in the major leagues. Um, if he ever gets there, I don't know. And I think if you do move him to a relief role, I think the stuff will play up even more, as we know. And with his height and his his stuff and his like interesting angle that he comes in from, I think there's something there. That's why I'm kind of between – him and Pinto to be that second guy. I think that will be protected, but I, I would not be shocked if Brandon Young is protected next Wednesday. Yeah. The injury for me is just the injury. Like he missed more, more than a calendar year, probably. I think if I remember correctly of, of pitching and had just 40 innings this season, that was a spread across, you know, four levels. He worked his way back. You know, I don't know if we know a hundred percent sure exactly what the injury was, but it does seem like it was, the shoulder injury and you know it's not like tommy john surgery where teams like the orioles we've seen the orioles be super aggressive with guys who just had tommy john surgery trade goes we just talked about they just signed that guy to a, a two-year minor league deal I, I don't know what his name is but they just <laughs> he's not going to pitch until like what midway through the season anyway why they gave him the two-year deal 
the Orioles, if they like a guy, they're going to go after him with this Tommy John surgery. But the shoulder stuff is definitely hesitant. And we had no idea what he was. I remember texting you guys and being like, do we know anything about Brandon Young? Because somebody like said something on Twitter. And I'm like, yeah, we still don't know. And then I think it was like the next day or two days later, it was like Brandon Young's been assigned to the FCL. And I was like, all right, I guess he's back. Um, that was cool. Uh, so it was good to see him back on the mound, knowing like he's still alive. Um, <laughs> remember when he was on the show he he doesn't i don't know if he has a, a cell phone yet he has the cell phone but he uses the flip phone and he doesn't have social media so he's a guy it's like where's brandon young we had no idea and then he comes out and i don't know if it was one of those starts but i feel like i remember somebody mentioning in the, a stadium gun reading of like 98 or 99 for brandon young at one point last year again secondhand stadium gun information there but still regardless he's throwing in the upper 90s and Zach mentioned the numbers, 40 innings, just six walks. Like you missed more than a calendar year being on the mound and you're throwing upper nineties and not walking guys already. That's pretty huge. Like I, I think that's at least a bold case for him. He sticks in this organization. I don't think they protect him though. I think my two guys, I'm going just two guys overall. And I'm thinking it's, I'm going with Mago and uh, asking probably just because, but I could be sold either way, either on the Haskin one, but it's Miguel and Pinto for me. It's my final prediction. I'm going to agree with Nick and go with Miguel and Haskin. Um, before we move on completely, though, if it was your preference, not your prediction, your preference, although I think Bob's prediction and preference line up, if it's your preference, <laughs> who are the two? Uh, my preference is probably going to be. This is a tough one as well. I'm going to say Mago, the lefty with the firepower. I, I think he can be a valuable asset. I'm going to say Mago and probably Brnovich just because I think he's I think he's a guy who just a lot of people kind of underestimate, and he's proven it along the way. So I'd probably say those two guys. My preference is the 40-man roster. Rule change, 50-man roster. <laughs> um, get some more of these guys on here. But, yeah, probably my uh, prediction and preferred are pretty pretty similar. Yeah. Are there any – I don't know you guys, if you thought about this, but any other, other pitchers specifically that – because we know the hitters list. Then, but any other pitchers that you guys are like maybe super long odds, like less than 1% shot, but – there's at least a conversation being had in the front office, even just for a couple of minutes. Like you got guys like Houston Roth, Connor Gillespie, Jake Lyons, Morgan McSweeney, Hoffman, Connor Loprich, Tyler Birch, Jensen Elliott. I, I picked two, but I don't know if you guys were thought about anybody else before we wrap up. Nolan Hoffman for me could be like that sneaky Darren O'Day. I don't know if he's, that level but i think just because he's a different he's a different approach than the guys we have currently he's a different arm angle obviously um different i don't know like that picture of the rays how they have like a guy with each arm slot um i think he could be a different one of them so i'll say hoffman for me i would go Cade stroud um just because you can see really overpowering bullpen stuff from him, and we know from what John Mioli has written in the past. I think at his newsletter, and I think he's written about a little bit of the banner too. The pitch data on Stroud apparently is really good. Sixty-seven strikeouts and fifty-five in the third innings last year. The walks are a real issue with him. 
but the Orioles have shown that they're not afraid to take a chance on a guy with overpowering stuff but bad command. If you break down Stroud's numbers too, he had some really great stretches and improvements along the way. I'm going to throw out a name that I kept my eyes kept wandering back to. And again, this is super long odds. This is like less than 1% shot here. But if there's a guy who I think, where did that come from? And they end up protecting. Um, I'm going to throw out the name Nick Richmond just because I think he's performed well since he joined the org. The numbers in Bowie don't look great, but if you take out two of his like early performances after he got promoted when he was adjusting to double A, his numbers look completely different. That's just one more name that I'm, I'm thinking there is at least a conversation had probably there. I was ready to come into this episode predicting Wanda and Charles was going to be added to the 40 man yeah. and then he became a minor league free agent. So maybe, and I'm hoping they can bring him back somehow, but. Man, I just wanted to see Wanderson Charles in an Orioles uniform at the Major Leagues. Yeah, we'll go very quickly now and discuss the Orioles' remaining award season. Gunnar Henderson is a finalist for American League Rookie of the Year. Brandon Hyde is a finalist for American League Manager of the Year. But we also have three Orioles up for Silver Slugger Awards. They are Adley Rutzman, the catcher, Gunnar Henderson, who is slotted into utility spot, and Anthony Santander. So... Bob, I'll start with you. How do we see the remainder of awards season playing out in Birdland? I don't even know how they figure out Silver Slugger. Um, so I'll say Adley wins a Silver Slugger. Who's up against Gunner in utility? Do you know offhand? Or you can. I'll double check right now, but I know that Gunner's numbers were pretty far above most of those guys. It's, All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's Brandon Drury, uh, Isaac Paredes, and. Um, Gunner, I think that's and Whit Merrifield and his well, like 700 OPS. What get out of here, Adley and Gunner, silver sluggers in my mind. Then, not sure Santander is gonna be able to get there, but would be cool. Um, I think Gunner's obviously he's a lock for rookie of the year. Brandon Hyde should be a lock, but I think MLB spoiled their own results, and we think Bruce Boshi is gonna win over him, which is kind of ridiculous, but yeah, I. I don't really care. We were talking about this before the show started about awards very much other than rookie of the year, because the Orioles will get that extra first round pick basically. Um, and we'll have three of the first, what, 34 picks next year, which will be fun. Yeah. Like, there's Tony Tater still there on that list and people still want to trade him, but whatever. Um, he won't win it, but like Julio had a great year. Adolis Garcia is on that list and Adolis Garcia has become just an animal. Um, I think I don't see him winning it. Adley, I think has a real chance unless I don't either know like how silver sluggers are selected. If it's voting, like who votes for it? I, I don't know either, but as long as the decision is based solely on like home runs, I think Cal Raleigh had like 30 something home runs or whatever. Um, I think Adley has a chance and I do think Gunner wins it because his numbers, Jury's numbers, and um, Paredes' numbers all look kind of similar, but Gunner's got the Rookie of the Year hype, so maybe that plays a role in it. Um, but Jury is also, if I'm looking at this list right, Jury is also nominated at second base and utility, so they could probably go Marcus Simeon at second base and then give Jury the utility. This is why I hate awards. They're dumb. Um, yeah, I, I want to say the same. I want to say Adley takes a silver slugger, Gunner gets one, and Gunner gets rookie of the year, and we get the extra draft pick and another guy to talk about next year. Oh, and 
I think it was announced the Orioles get the 24th pick in next year's draft. They actually picked before the Dodgers because of revenue sharing or something like that. As for awards, if Whit Merrifield beats Gunnar Henderson, I'm going to go on such a long tangent <laughs> on next week's show or whenever the next show is after those awards are announced that you're either going to be really entertained or when you listen to it later on, you're just going to fast forward through the entire thing. Uh, other than that, yeah, Brendan Drury beats uh, Gunnar Henderson. That's fine. I would personally take Gunnar. Uh, but if Drury wins over him, I, it's understandable. If Whit Merrifield wins over Gunnar, I'm getting vaccinated. That's it. <laughs> you, you're not going to get faded to a better podcast <laughs> before you do that? Oh, yeah. Well, then it depends on the podcast. Depends on the podcast. <laughs> we'll trade you the fan graphs. How's that sound? I'll think about it. Well, stay tuned uh, to next week's episode where we find out did we trade Bob uh, to another podcast. But uh, in all seriousness, all three of us will be back next week. We will have more Orioles coverage for you. In the meantime, you can check us out on X, Instagram, Facebook, and on TikTok, where we now have a few videos up. So you're going to want to check those out. And while you're browsing around the internet, be sure to head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com to lead all, read all the latest coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're there, hop on the message board and join in discussion with fellow readers of BSL, as well as contributors to the site. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.